Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield.
If you don't have money, Connecticut fortunately has a pro bono program in most of the courts that can assist you and represent you. The court clerks won't give you any advice, but they will tell you about the pro bono program if one exists in your area. It's important to contact either your own attorney or a pro pro bono attorney because there are very sensitive deadlines that if you miss, you could lose rights that are valuable to you. Connecticut has a court-sponsored mediation process, which is probably one of the most successful in the nation. Approximately 70% of the cases in Connecticut that go through the mediation process end up in a resolution other than foreclosure. But time is critical with this mediation process. You have to apply for it within 15 days of the date your appearance is due in court, and that includes weekend and holidays unless the day happens to fall on a weekend or a holiday. When that happens, you have the next business day to apply. To navigate the mediation process, you're best off with counsel. There are many documents that need to be completed, and the mediation sessions have to be attended. When you don't comply with the process, you'll be denied a very valuable right. And although the courts are lenient to grant extensions of time, they won't do so very often after you miss it the first and probably maybe the second if you're lucky. Now, the initial mediation conference is between you, your attorney, and the mediator. And the purpose of this meeting is to you get to make sure that you complete the paperwork, answer questions, and explain to you as the homeowner your responsibility. The next mediation session is between the bank's attorney, the mediator, and your counsel. Generally, it's to receive paperwork that is associated with the process of trying to get uh, a modification of your mortgage. It's called a request for mortgage assistance. And to gain, you also use it to gain an understanding of the bank's programs. Now, by law, you're entitled to three mediation processes, not including the initial conference, or nine months, whichever is longer. So please note that the court can terminate the mediation if you don't comply. And by the way, there's no corresponding remedy for the homeowner should the bank fail to comply with its responsibilities, which has been a gripe for many of my colleagues and myself for some time. Anyhow, mediation is available to persons who reside in a dwelling that is subject to the foreclosure. The house can have up to four units as long as you live in one of them, and it can be valued uh, at no more than $725,000. If the process is successful, the homeowner may be entitled to keep the home by reducing the interest rate, reducing the principal, extending the law term, reinstating the loan. The process also includes a short sale, which generally, if successful, will forgive that portion of the debt which exceeds the value of the home. During the mediation process, the bank is prohibited from advancing the lawsuit and can't do so until the mediation process is terminated. Now, many cases in Connecticut are ending up in what is called short sales. This is a sale that's orchestrated by the buyer by the buyer or his real estate agent, which seeks the approval of the lender to sell the home for less than the amount owed on the mortgage debt. In most cases, the debt, is, the, the debt that's not satisfied is forgiven, and the sale ends the foreclosure process. A seller's degree of success increases with the assistance of a skilled real estate agent. And by the way, that's essential that you have an agent that is skilled in short sales. 
because it is arduous. I just finished one today, and I'll tell you, the real estate agent who worked on it uh, worked tirelessly up until the final minute to get all the documents that were necessary. Uh, the servicers of these loans are are less responsive than you think they would be, uh, given what's at stake and the fact that uh, this will satisfy at least a portion of the debt and, and the uh, whole relationship between the borrower and the uh, lender. Now, there may be tax consequences based on the forgiveness of debt, and that all depends on the tax basis in your home and whether there's a second mortgage. A homeowner considering uh, such a resolution has to consult with their tax advisor to understand the consequences. This rule is this rule uh, is generally understood as the forgiveness of debt of the first mortgage on one's principal is not a taxable event, but the, uh, the lender will issue you an IRS form 1090, and your tax advisor has to deal with that on your tax returns. Again, it's very important to have a skilled tax advisor who knows the steps and can avoid you owing what is referred to as phantom income. Now, what we're seeing very commonly now is people other than the actual owner of the debt suing on the debt. Loans made between, you know, 2001 and 2007 uh, were, for the most part, securitized. That means in simple terms that that was sold off to a group of investors and supposedly put in trust known as pooling agreements. And the people who invested were the beneficiaries of this loan. Now, this securitization process was the root of the evil and the fraud which has plagued the mortgage industry for well over a decade. Many people ask, can you be sued by someone who didn't make the loan or doesn't own the debt? And, uh, you know, this to engage the judicial machinery in Connecticut, you have to be aggrieved. However, in Connecticut, the court will has relaxed this standard of standing and permits parties who don't owe the debt to bring the foreclosure action um, despite the fact that they're not the owner. And our Supreme Court has stated on more than one occasion that the party commencing the action simply has to have the authority of the holder of the note to maintain the foreclosure. Then this rule has invited unmeasurable mischief. In a foreclosure action, the plaintiff alleged it has the right to proceed on behalf of the holder, which is generally some species of a trust. The plaintiff simply proceeds and <clears throat> produces a note with what is known as a blank endorsement and swears, based on this blank endorsement, that it has the right of the holder of note. This relaxed standard of proof dispenses with the need for the plaintiff to establish that the note is part of the trust and was poured into the trust in accordance with the terms of the trust. We know that this is often not the case. However, in Connecticut, our Court of Appeals has refused to permit the borrower to plead and prove that the note was not properly in the trust, stating that the borrower does not have standing to raise this admitted defect. Now, while the issue has not been addressed by our Supreme Court, it appears that this result may very well stay the same, even if it is addressed. Nonetheless, 
counsel should argue that the case is governed by New, Lo New York law, which all of these trusts are, because that's the place where these trusts were created. And New, Lo New York law provides that the failure to strictly adhere to the terms of the trust makes the transfer of the note void from the beginning. So this will allow the homeowner to raise a defense and possibly uh, get the case dismissed and perhaps maybe even get the mortgage discharged. What is, what, how has Connecticut dealt with robo-signers? It hasn't done so in the manner you might expect. Courts should be appalled by the documents that are recorded on the deed records and used in court cases to establish a right that the person signing it with no authority to sign the document or signing in a capacity that they have no right to act under. Connecticut courts have looked the other way for the most part and are concerned primarily with the status of the plaintiff as simply what they call a holder or agent of the holder. And note that these actions are never brought by the holder in due course because even these modern-day buccaneers don't have the gall to claim such a status. The fact that endorsements and assignments and notes are being enforced <coughs> have, <coughs> have uh, transferred rights is overlooked if the plaintiff can claim that the status of the holder or the agent is not what they claim it to be. Now, there are defenses for people who have been victimized by, this, by the Wall Street greed. Connecticut has established that standing must exist at the time the suit is filed. It can't be manufactured by assignments or endorsements that occur after the suit is filed. Some cases hold that the lender must have been licensed at the time that the loan was made, for it to be enforceable, although our Court of Appeals has not yet made a definitive statement on this issue. Many lenders have gone out of business or filed bankruptcy, yet their notes continue to be endorsed in the stream of commerce. Establishing that an assignment has been made after the lender filed bankruptcy and without bankruptcy court approval will defeat such a case. And believe it or not, some lenders sue under fictitious names without identifying the real party in interest. If you can establish this, you're going to get the case dismissed. Now, the remedy of rescission is relatively uh, new in Connecticut, and uh, we'll have to see how it goes uh, since the Supreme Court has the, decided the Jeninowski case versus Countrywide Homes. In that case, as you know, the court held that the borrower need only notify the lender of its failure to comply with the statute and the commencement of an action within three years. And the court held that the borrower need not sue within the three-year period to avail himself to this remedy. Now, Neil has wrote, written extensively on this, uh, this uh, subject, and um, I think that um, you know, reading what he has to say on this is fantastic. Um, I think uh, the other thing that I'd like to talk about in Connecticut is that uh, after you lose your home, it may not be the end of it. If it's not been short sold or if the lender has not been satisfied in full, we have in Connecticut what they call a uh, deficiency judgment. If the lender files within 30 days uh, of taking title or in a strict foreclosure or in a sale after the sale has been approved, uh, the lender can file a motion and seek to recover the difference between the sale of the home the sale price of the home, excuse me, and the um, what the um, what the debt is, and this is 
particularly onerous uh, because uh, most people do not have uh, the income to pay this. And um, <clears throat> so far, there hasn't been many deficiency actions in Connecticut, but nonetheless, um, we don't know most in most of the cases uh, where the foreclosure's gone through. Uh, the motion for deficiency has been filed, and uh, they just kind of are sitting there. Uh, if you move to have some remedy done or some uh, hearing done on that or make the, the, the lender move on that motion, you run the risk of the lender coming in and uh, getting you what, you know, moving, uh, <clears throat> making the motion for a deficiency and making its case where you'll have a monetary judgment against you as well as losing your home. Now, if I can navigate myself through this, um, I'm going to try to see if there are any questions out there. Uh, and if there are, um, I'm going to take the question and see if we can uh, answer. So um, let's see if I can do that. I'm not having a lot of luck with that. So uh, let me uh, speak here for a little bit while longer here. Um, the mediation process in Connecticut uh, has been rather successful in that the mediators are attuned to what's been going on in the foreclosure process, and um, they have pushed the banks as far as they can to try to make them um, – Get, let, the, let the borrower keep their home and not lose them. Um, like I said, 70% of them have resulted in something other than the borrower losing their home. Unfortunately, many of those have been um, short sales where the borrower does lose the home, but they don't have the uh, burden of carrying that debt forward. Um, now, I have to say that uh, the state of Connecticut uh, that has all Democratic congressional representatives in Congress is a bit conservative when it comes to uh, recognizing the parade of horribles that the banks have visited upon us in what has been appropriately called the mortgage crisis. One of the uh, other defenses in the foreclosure process is that they, the courts have required the banks to make strict adherence to the um, conditions preceding. So if you look at your mortgage in either paragraph 19, 20, or 21, you're going to see what it says is the opportunity to cure. And it requires a notice of default with very specific information. If that notice of default is not complied with strictly, uh, then the court on a motion to dismiss or a motion for summary judgment will uh, address that and could very well dismiss the case. We also have recent case authority, which says that if you don't comply with the EMAP uh, requirements, that that, too, is also a basis for getting the uh, case dismissed. So um, if you give me a second here, and I know I'm kind of botching this thing up, um, I'm going to look at the callers on the side of the thing and try to get one of them in um, See if I can do that. 
Hi, do you have a question? Hi, uh, do you have a question? I don't think I'm doing that right. Well, listen, I uh, this is my first time doing this, and I apologize to you uh, for not knowing how to navigate this system as well as I should have. Um, I am trying to see if I can get somebody with a question here. Um, do you have a question? Yeah, I'm not doing it very well. Any okay. Well, this um, see this is about up right now. So I uh, want to let everybody know that um, I understand that the mortgage crisis is not over, that we are going to see a lot more foreclosures next year and probably as many as we have seen in the past. Uh, this isn't good news for us, but the courts are moving, are moving a little bit in the direction of recognizing the borrower and not putting up with the what is obviously the fraud of the lenders that has created this crisis. Uh, people were getting loans that they shouldn't have gotten, and many people believe that if the bank lends them the money, they can afford to pay it, but that is not the case. And unfortunately, people who relied upon banks who used to be uh, quite adept at determining the borrower's ability to pay uh, lent money to people who unfortunately could not afford them and did not do them much of a favor because they end up losing their homes. Um, in closing, I'd like to say that uh, I hope that uh, all of you uh, enjoyed the show, and if any of you uh, want to contact me, I can be reached uh, by email. I know Neil will put it up for you, and uh, I'm going to close now by saying good night. <laughs>